Well, it's great to be part of this Lenten series, Faulty People, Faultless Saviour. And as you know, today we are talking about the life of Mary Magdalene. And it's great that she is part of this series because she was one of the few witnesses to the very first Easter, which is, of course, where this series is heading. I love reading, and one of my favourite genres is historical fiction. I love the way the past can be brought to life through good storytelling and imagination. But with a husband as a history teacher, I've learned to respect the difference between fiction and recorded history. And discerning this difference between fiction and history will help us today as we look at this infamous woman, Mary Magdalene, because there are two very different portraits of this lady. Think of Mary from Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Jesus Christ Superstar, where she is in a relationship with Jesus. Think of Mary in Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, where she supposedly is married to Jesus and has children with him. Well, these portraits of Mary sit firmly in the fiction camp. But even as we look to the historical gospel narratives, we have to contend with many women in those accounts and also many women whose name is Mary. It was a very popular Hebrew name in the first century and so we just need to slow down a bit to work out who is who. For example, we often think of Mary Magdalene as the prostitute that Jesus saves from being stoned to death or the sinner who washes Jesus' feet with her tears as he dines at Simon the Pharisee's house. Or that she is Mary from Bethany, who anoints Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. But in fact, Mary is none of these women. So today we'll focus on two main gospel accounts of Mary Magdalene, and we'll let God's word tell us who she actually was. And I think we'll find that Mary is just an ordinary, faulty human whose life is changed when she encounters Jesus, her faultless saviour. Mary's life will make us ask, how has my life changed by following Jesus? Or perhaps, how would my life change if I encountered Jesus? I'm going to focus on three main aspects of Mary's life her healing, her service, and her devotion to Jesus. So that's her healing, her service, and her devotion to Jesus. The first account that we're going to look at is found in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and I'm going to read that passage now. Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Mary's story begins in her hometown of Magdala, which is where she gets her name from. Magdala sits on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. I visited Magdala a couple of years ago, and I really was amazed at uh, the ruins that have been recently uncovered. 
you can actually see and touch the synagogue of Mary's day. You can see uh, the ritual baths for ceremonial cleansing and some of the housing. So it really wasn't hard standing there to imagine the busy fishing village that Magdala would have been in Jesus' day. And I feel pretty fortunate to have stood where Mary's story begins, to have stood where Mary most likely would have met Jesus for the first time. Back to the passage, verse 2 says, Some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. This description of Mary's healing is very brief, and the passage doesn't really tell us how her affliction would have affected Mary's everyday life. But the point is, when she meets Jesus, she is a broken woman, enslaved by evil spirits and unable to save herself. Mary's real need and experience of healing points to our universal condition of physical decay and reminds us that we have all been separated from God, who is the creator and sustainer of life. Perhaps we're not enslaved by seven demons, but we all feel the effects of living in this broken world, don't we? We all bear the scars of physical, emotional and spiritual suffering in one way or another. Sin and its effects are a burden that we all share. During Jesus' ministry in Galilee, he says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We are all sinners with a sickness that only Jesus can cure. So while Mary's healing shines a light on our own condition... It also shines a light on the nature and character of God. God sees all our needs. He sees our pain. He sees our brokenness. And he sent Jesus to earth to save us from it all. His healing ministry was just a foretaste of the ultimate healing that Jesus would offer to all mankind. At the cross, he would take the full blow of your sin and mine So there is now no condemnation when we confess it all and repent. Mary shows us how to come to Jesus. Broken, vulnerable, faulty. I wonder, are you willing to come to Jesus in the same way? I wonder whether we make it a habit or whether we're prepared to lay all our sin and pain and failings before him. The Bible shows us how Jesus will respond when we come to him in a similar state to Mary, with love and compassion, healing and salvation. So come to Jesus. This gospel passage tells us that Mary isn't healed by Jesus and then goes on her merry way back to her life in Magdala. Mary doesn't treat her physical healing as a one-off miracle, but an invitation to draw near to Jesus. Mary's eyes are opened to all that Jesus offers, and as she comes uh, comes into his presence, 
Her life is never the same again as we're going to see. So verse 3 of that same passage from Luke says, These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Mary, alongside those other female companions, financially support Jesus' extensive ministry around Galilee. Effectively, they bankroll Jesus. This is not something that I've always noticed, and I wonder if you have paused to really consider this incredible fact. One of the highlights of my trip to Israel was sitting on a boat early one morning on the calm waters of the Sea of Galilee. And I was really transported back to the first century because the landscape is still, quite surprisingly, fairly undeveloped. And as I gazed out to the hills that that rise up from the sea and saw the towns and villages scattered throughout the landscape, it really struck me for the very first time just how it was physically possible for Jesus to walk from town to town throughout the region of Galilee. Even though we're not used to walking those distances uh, the way they did in those days, but you can get a picture in the area of how that was possible. Jesus' travelling company numbered far more than just he and his 12. And their arrival in a new town required accommodation, food and taxes. These are the costs that this group of women bore out of their own means. Mary was most likely a merchant of some kind and she used her resources to contribute to the needs of Jesus' growing ministry. Her discipleship and partnership would have raised some eyebrows as they travelled around the region. But the Gospels are very clear that Mary is just one of many unlikely people following Jesus. Along with women, he's welcoming tax collectors and fishermen and all kinds of sinners into God's kingdom. Mary's support of Jesus tells us two important things. Firstly, that Jesus has all kinds of people on his team. And secondly, that Jesus welcomes the contribution of those people on his team. Jesus' team is not picked in the way we see in those gym class movie scenes. In the movies, this is who gets picked for the school sports team first. The cocky athletes the popular kids, the coordinated kids, the ultra-competitive kids. The last picks are the awkward, uncool, uncoordinated kids that no one wants on their team. The school outcasts are always picked last. But what a relief that Jesus does not pick his team that way. Jesus never picks his team based on outward appearance religious muscle, or family heritage. In fact, he doesn't look at what his team can offer him, but what he can offer us. The criteria for being on Jesus' team are willingness to come to him in all our brokenness and need, a willingness to acknowledge that we need a saviour, and a willingness to follow him.
Jesus loves the outcasts. So come. But also, Jesus encourages the contribution of every one of his disciples, just as we see here with Mary. It's been God's intention from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. From the beginning, God wanted his people to live in partnership with him in a way that was good for every human and good for his creation. But our lived experience tells us that we have rejected that partnership and instead we have chosen to live independently of God. And so there has been a break in the ideal picture given to us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But here's the good news. Jesus offers a way to reinstate our partnership with God. Being on Jesus' team means that once again we are included in God's good plans and purposes. Jesus' mission becomes our mission. Jesus knows that our contribution will not be perfect, but his kingdom and our lives will be richer for the way we learn how to serve him and serve others. Mary's service was unique to her time in history. A woman in close company with Jesus, learning from him, supporting his needs and finding her place in God's kingdom. We are placed in our own unique time in history with the same invitation to draw near to him and participate in God's mission. There is no template for what this has to look like. Just look at the global church and you will see the different ways that people serve. God will use anyone who is willing to walk in trust and faith. So be open, be authentic, be generous, be sacrificial and pray. We all need to ask God to show us the needs around us and then to give us the courage and the energy to meet them. Let's follow Mary's example, but contribute in a way that fits our own unique context and circumstances. Finally, Mary's devotion. All four Gospels place Mary of Magdala in Jerusalem alongside the other disciples at the dramatic climax of Jesus' time on earth. As they arrive in Jerusalem, Jesus has been warning his disciples that his time on earth is coming to an end, that he will be returning to his Father. But what Jesus knows in full, his disciples only see in part moment to moment. They cannot possibly know what lies ahead for Jesus. They cannot see the big picture as Jesus sees it. Jesus knows the necessity of his atoning sacrifice. He sees the full picture of God's redemptive plans for humanity. 
he sees the cost to himself. But despite his anguish, Jesus knows his father's business and he will see it through to the end. But here are two gospel accounts from Mary's point of view that give us a sense of the confusion and distress that the disciples rightly feel after witnessing Jesus' torture, his mistrial, his death and hurried burial. What has happened to their faultless saviour? Matthew chapter 27 says, Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. And then from the passage in John chapter 20 that accompanies your study outline. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. It's really significant to note that by this time most of the disciples have fled and there are just a few women standing by Jesus to the very end. This is where we see Mary's relationship with Jesus move to a whole new level. She doesn't know what's going on, but she clings to what she does know. She loves Jesus, she trusts Jesus, and she is devoted to Jesus. Mary is still committed to serving Jesus, even if it means following his dead body to the tomb, even if it is just to anoint his body with spices. Standing at the tomb crying, Mary is vulnerable and broken before God just like she was back in Magdala. And it is in this state that Mary has the first encounter of any human with the resurrected Jesus. As Jesus appears to her, he cuts through her anguish just by saying her name, Mary. And Mary clings to him as she cries out in recognition, Rabboni! What a moment in Mary's life. What a moment in history. Mary Magdalene is the first witness to the risen Lord Jesus. But not only that, Jesus entrusts her to take this news to the other disciples. Mary's role in God's mission continues. Mary was committed and obedient in her service, but it's her closeness with Jesus that makes all the difference. Mary's life was not driven by religion or obligation. It was driven by love. Jesus' love for her and her love for him. 
As disciples of Jesus, I think it's really important that we too consider if our lives are driven by religion or by a desire for closeness with Jesus. We may be committed to serving God, and that really and truly is wonderful. But we must be careful that our service is not fueled by obligation, but rather fueled by love. Prayer and reflection with God will help us in this area. So in summary, here are a couple of things that I'd like us to uh, reflect on uh, with Mary's life for ourselves. Let's consider how our lives have changed since meeting Jesus and consider again what it means to be his disciple. Let us, like Mary, draw near to our faultless saviour Jesus with all our sin, all our faults, and allow him to forgive and heal us. Let's look afresh at the invitation to partner with Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost. And most importantly, let that partnership grow into deep love and devotion for Jesus. Mary's life is not historical fiction but has been preserved in the historical accounts of the Gospels. Mary's witness of the very first Easter is the same account that we celebrate and share every year. Her story brings us to Jesus. You too live in a time and place in history and have a story to tell the community that you live in. A unique story of how you encountered Jesus and the difference that he has made to your life since coming into his presence. I encourage you to share your story and see how God will use it to grow his kingdom. And if you haven't met Jesus, you can meet him through the Bible, through prayer and through talking to someone who knows him. It is promised in the Bible that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us.